Okay, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you. Um, somewhere, somebody has some handouts, and uh, they're going to be handed out to you. It's kind of a, like a, a chart of what we're going to be covering uh, over the course of these sessions together. It's certainly a d- delight to be here with you. and looking forward to this uh, series, what the Lord might uh, say to us. Uh, from Leviticus chapter 23. I'd like you to turn there. That's where we uh, have the subject before us, the Feast of Jehovah, uh, Leviticus 23. And I'd like to read uh, Leviticus 23 verses 1 through 8 and introduce the subject today and perhaps even begin to look at the first festival, the festival of Passover. So Exodus, uh, sorry, Leviticus 23 Uh, beginning to read in verse 1 down to verse 8. It says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which you shall proclaim in their seasons. In the fourteenth day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Unto the Lord seven days you must eat unleavened bread. In the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. But you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. In the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. And again, we believe God will bless the public reading of his precious word to us uh, this morning. Well, I don't know what you think when you think of the book of Leviticus, but uh, I know for many... Uh, Leviticus is a very difficult book. In fact, if you're trying to read through the Bible in one year, if you survive Leviticus, you're pretty well on to maybe even finishing the Bible. But uh, if you're going to perish, it'll be in Leviticus, right? Uh, It's not an easy book to read. Um, And um, I want to just mention some things about Leviticus just to begin with before we look at our chapter in detail. Uh, First of all, the term or the word Leviticus comes to us from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, actually really the first Bible translation from one language to another. Uh, A lot of uh, Jews were living in Greek-speaking areas, and uh, many of them had lost Hebrew, and so it was felt that for them to have the Scriptures in their language, and so 70 scholars uh, translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. And so uh, the Septuagint title for this book is Leviticus. But uh, the Hebrew Old Testament... If you were looking for the book of Leviticus, you'd have a hard time finding it because it's not called Leviticus in the Hebrew Old Testament. It's called, And He Called. And He Called. Where do we get that from? Look at uh, Leviticus 1 uh, for a moment, please. And verse 1. And it really is an interesting beginning because usually, uh, I don't remember a whole lot from school, 
uh, and certainly if not from uh, high school English, but something that sticks in my mind more than anything else is this. You never start a sentence with and, but, or because. Do you ever remember that? Yeah, that's what they taught us. Well, this is not just a sentence, it's a whole book of the Bible, and it begins with and. It says, Leviticus 1.1, and the Lord called. And I want to just kind of step back to Exodus, and just get the context here, because it is very significant, because you just have the chapters in Exodus that describe the tabernacle, and at the very last chapter of Exodus, verse 34, it says, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode therein and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And so I want to suggest to you that God speaks to Moses in what we call Leviticus and and his very first words come to Moses out of a glory-filled tabernacle. And it says, and the Lord called unto Moses out of this glory-filled tabernacle and begins to give the instruction that we know as the book of Leviticus. And this phrase, and the Lord called, uh, in the King James it's, it's translated different ways, and the Lord called, and God spake, uh, and he, he called. But it, it basically, it's 56 times in this book. So if you just look with me, for instance, chapter 4, verse 1 begins, and the Lord spake. Uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 14, and the Lord spake. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1, and the Lord spake. And we could go on and on. Uh, chapter 6, verse 8, and the Lord spake. 6, verse 19, and the Lord spake. By the way, when you read your Bible, look for patterns. I, I find that fascinating. Repeated words, repeated phrases, and underline them. And it kind of these are there for a reason. And let me just say this: that uh, in this book of Leviticus, uh, in twenty chapters, uh, begin with "and he called." Twenty out of uh, the twenty-seven chapters begin that way, and it's mentioned fifty-six times in the twenty-seven chapters. So the idea is this: there is no other book in the Bible that emphasizes God speaking more than Leviticus. And God spoke, and God called, and God said, and He said. And here's the point. God is speaking through this book, but are you listening? (laughs) Because He's speaking, and He really is emphasizing this all the way through. God is speaking, and um, of course, the, the Greek translation has Leviticus, which really means pertaining to the Levites. And I suppose if any group of people ought to listen, uh, it ought to be the Levites, in a sense, because uh, one of the things you're going to find in this book is that there were a couple of Levites um, that didn't listen. They were called Nadab and Abihu. And they, they came into the presence of God, but they didn't come the way He told them, and they were burnt to a crisp. Remember that? They were, they were literally vaporized by God. And so I guess if I was a Levite, I would really pay attention to this book. My life depends on it. I'm approaching a God who we heard this morning at the Remembrance Meeting who is holy, holy, holy. That's who I'm coming into His presence and I better come the way He tells me or else my very existence is is on the line here. 
because of what happened to Nadab and Abihu. So certainly uh, pertaining to the Levites, um, and it has two purposes. It's in a sense a digest or, or a kind of summary of divine law. This is a manual for the Levites. If, again, they're meant to not only minister in the sanctuary, but they're meant to teach people the law of God. So this is kind of their handbook. This is kind of a summary of the law of God for the Levites. A digest of divine law, both civil, ceremonial, and moral. All that God has to say about how they should live as a people. And then, secondly, it was a directory of divine worship, a manual on how to approach Jehovah, the God of Israel. And as we've said, it was very important to pay attention to how to approach God because... God is exceedingly holy, and if you come with strange fire, there are serious consequences. The book, though, goes far beyond just the Levites, because uh, it, it really is relevant to all of the people of God. If you look at chapter 23, our passage that we're going to be spending time in this week, although we said this book is for the Levites, I want you to notice verse 10. Uh, Well, let's read from verse 1 again. The Lord spake, there's our word again, unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them. And then in verse 10, it says, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give unto you. And so, although it initially has the Levites in view, It also is wider in scope than that. It's for all the children of Israel because they had to understand their worship system. They would be bringing offerings, right? They were themselves sinners and would need to bring various sacrifices. So everybody really needs to understand this book, not just the Levites that minister around the sanctuary, but the people themselves. So that the scope goes beyond Uh, just the Levites, but to all the children of Israel. It was important for the ordinary Israelite to understand the holiness of God and the way of approach to the sanctuary of God. And it's important for us to understand that too. I mentioned key words. If you look through Leviticus and read it carefully, you'll find that the word holy is mentioned 80 times, 8-0. So, uh, if, if you really want to understand the holiness of God, this is the book to help you. It shows you that God is infinitely holy because the repetition of the fact that He is holy is, is given here so clearly. And I, if ever there was a day and age where we need a, an emphasis on the holiness of God, surely it's today. And Leviticus will supply that for us. Also, Another dominant word in the book of Leviticus, and I remember even as an unsaved person, uh, when I got saved, I was reading through the Bible to prove somebody wrong, and I started in Genesis, and and I went through Exodus, and I got to Leviticus, and, and I got really confused in Leviticus. Can you imagine an unsaved person reading Leviticus? But the one thing I knew was this, there's blood everywhere. <laughs> that stood out to me 87 times in the book of Leviticus, blood is mentioned. Eighty times holy, eighty-seven times blood. And then it was mentioned at the remembrance meeting this morning, the word atonement. Atonement's mentioned 45 times. And if you put the key words together, and by the way, just again, just a suggestion, anybody studying a book of the Bible, 
Pay attention to the repeated words and phrases. Often it gives you the key that unlocks the meaning of the book. So look at those key words and phrases. And so you could say that this book tells us something very simple. Access to a holy God is on the basis of shed blood. Right? Just putting those words together. And atonement means to cover. And the idea is this, that the sins of the people, that which would uh, restrict access to God, uh, is covered by the blood, removed from his sight. The people's sins are removed from his sight by covering by blood, allowing access to the presence of God. So that would be the, the theme of uh, Leviticus. Now, when we get to Leviticus 23, we want to begin just by talking about the fact that this is really a calendar. And we tend to live by calendars. I knew that I had to get a plane ticket to come here this weekend because in my calendar for quite some time has been scheduled to be at Boulevard Bible Chapel. And I'm glad that I got it right. Sometimes I don't get it right, but I did get it right. Uh, my kids always tease me because I would always be early uh, and they, many of their memories of childhood would be going to new places they'd never been before and being sat in the car park 40, 45 minutes before anybody showed up because it's a new place and I've got to find it and I don't want to be stressed coming straight out of the car into the meeting. And so they always know this, dad's always early. Well, one time I turned up in Lafayette, Louisiana at the airport. Nobody's there to meet me. I called the brother on the phone and he said, Brother Atwood, uh, the conference is not till next weekend. <laughs> My kids thought that was hilarious. They said, you outdid yourself this weekend. You, yeah. But there's always a positive side to everything. I got to try the best gumbo I'd ever had in my life and uh, had enough sky miles to be able to recover and uh, wasn't scheduled the next weekend, so it worked out okay. But, uh, but it made me be even more careful about my calendar. I want to be turning up at the right place at the right time. God is also extremely careful about his calendar. He's laid out a calendar. Initially, this is a calendar of holy days or holidays for the nation of Israel. But we're going to see that this calendar is more than just the dates of Israel's holy days. It's actually going to trace for us prophetically God's plan from the cross all the way to the crown. Uh, basically, from Calvary to the Millennial Kingdom, we're going to see that God had it all planned out beforehand in a calendar, and everything to do with the first advent was fulfilled right on schedule. And guess what? When it comes to the second advent, everything's going to be fulfilled right on schedule. God is not going to be late. <laughs> Isn't that good to know? That God shows up on time. Uh, we could learn a lesson from that. <laughs> you know, the Lord showed up on time this morning, but I know it's not everybody did. But he did. In fact, he was here early. I'm, I, w I can imagine in my mind that he is here eagerly waiting to meet with his people. So it's good to be on time. Well, he's going to be on time with his calendar. There's no question about that. So the calendar gives the dates of seven festivals which Israel were commanded to keep. And if you look at this one, uh, they're all listed there across the top. If the copy came out right, uh, these seven festivals... Uh, beginning with Passover, then the Feast of Unleavened Bread, then the Feast of First Fruits, Feast of Pentecost, 
Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And we're going to work our way through them slowly but surely, and Lord willing, by Sunday evening of next week, Lord willing, we should be in the Millennial Kingdom. That would be kind of nice if that was really true, wouldn't it? But we, uh, but we will uh, at least uh, in our study, we'll end up at the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a picture of the millennium. Okay, so let me just think about these festivals just uh, by way of introduction and say this. Yeah, these holy days, they were actual holidays, just like you have uh, holidays here. Uh, Memorial Day weekend, you have the 4th of July weekend. You've got various holidays. Well... Israel also had their special holy days. That they were, there were times off work. They weren't allowed to do any regular work. Uh, they were meant to come together and meet with God on these special occasions. And uh, there were different reasons. Some of the festivals were what we call memorial festivals. They were remembering a historical event. So like the Passover... They still celebrate the Passover today and they're remembering that there was a time when they were delivered from Egyptian bondage, right? They were set free from slavery. And so that's a historical event. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is a memorial festival because they recognized, they remembered in those seven days that when they left Egypt, they were in such a rush, they didn't have time to wait for bread dough to rise. They had to be out of there. So they had to eat unleavened bread because you can't be waiting for the, the yeast to rise. You've got to move, right? And so those, those were memorial in nature. Uh, some of the festivals are agricultural. The first fruits, uh, Pentecost and Tabernacles, are harvest festivals. And they, they're a time when the people of God took time off work after bringing in the harvest and, in a sense, thanking God for the abundant harvest. So, for instance, first fruits was the first harvest of the year, and that was the barley harvest. Kind of barley is a winter crop. You put it in the winter, and it comes through first in spring. And so basically, the first festival was the barley harvest, and then um, the, uh, the Feast of Pentecost was the wheat harvest. That came in later. And then Tabernacles was the corn and wine harvest. And it was really a time to remember and, and celebrate God's goodness. I remember as a kid, uh, although I was raised Catholic, I went to an Anglican church, uh, school, I mean, an Anglican school, because there's no Catholic school nearby. And I, one thing that stands out in my mind is that harvest festivals were always a big deal. And I remember going into the, uh, to the, the school chapel where they, they would have their services. And, and at the front of the, the, the kind of uh, podium was just this um, magnificent display of fruits and vegetables. And, and it was impressive. And it was just, in a sense, a, a way of acknowledging God's bounty and saying thank you to God for, for his supply. And, and an agricultural people, uh, agriculture is a risky business. You know, you sow in hope. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen. You could lose your crop very easily. It's, it's very hazardous business. Uh, some, I, I tried gardening once when we lived in Georgia. It didn't last long. Uh, I put carrots in there and there was some unidentified bug that liked carrots more than we did. And every time we went there, we pull them up and they were all gone. They were eaten below the, the... So it's not easy to grow vegetables. So to actually get a harvest in is a time to give thanks to God for the abundant harvest. And so God kind of uh, put that in the calendar for them. 
And then thirdly, uh, these festivals, agricultural, memorial, prophetic. The New Testament shows that they were really speaking of something greater. They were, they were in a sense, uh, types and shadows of something bigger than themselves. And we want to look at the types and shadows aspect of it during our study. Now, I want you just to look at, uh, for instance, 1 Corinthians 10, just to begin with, uh, just to see that a lot of things that happened in Israel's history was really a picture of something greater. And we'll, we'll explain this, hopefully clearly, as we go on. But 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11... Uh, Paul says, uh, and he's describing kind of the wilderness and what happened in, in the book of Numbers and some of the things that happened as the nation of Israel traveled through the wilderness. And he says in verse 11, Now all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And the word in samples there, or maybe examples in your Bible, these things, these things happen to them for examples. That word examples is a Greek word, tupos, from which we get our English word type. Now, what do we mean when we talk about a type? Let me put it this way. A type literally means a mark or impression made by a blow. And I'm going to try and explain it to you. Uh, if I had in my hand a lump of clay that was soft and pliable, and then I took my fist, and as hard as I could, I... I made a blow in that and then removed my hand, there would be an impression of my fist left in the clay. Okay? So that would be, that's the word tupos. That would be the type. This is the reality. This is the type. You see, that's the idea. Let me explain it further, for instance, and we'll see examples of it. Um, the nail prints in the hands of the Savior. Do you know that the same Greek word tupos is used for the, the prints of the nails in his hands. You see, there was a, a mark or impression made by a blow, wasn't there? And when uh, the Lord Jesus appeared to his disciples, he showed them the type, which was a figure of the reality that he had actually been crucified, wasn't it? Okay, so that, that's the idea. It's the same idea. It's also used in uh, sealing documents, wax seals, and you would have a wax seal that would seal a document, and then uh, there would be a stamp put on it which would have the emperor's head or whatever, would, or, or the, e the emperor's eagle or whatever, and, and there would be a mark or impression left by a blow. And then a uh, final one would be minting a coin. That, you know, what do they do? Whose inscription is on it? Whose type is it, right? It's really, a, it's, well, it's Caesar. How did it get there? A blow, put it there. And the idea is this, that God is so in love with his son that he stamped impressions of him all the way through the Old Testament scriptures. So wherever you look, whether it be Genesis or Exodus or Leviticus, God has stamped a deep impression of his son in those scriptures so that you can see him everywhere. And that, isn't it beautiful to see him everywhere? That's the joy of reading through the whole scriptures because you want to see Christ in all the scriptures. And he's there. And it's a beautiful thing to see him in prophet, prophecy and picture, all of these different ways. And, and of course, we said types and shadows. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 now and we'll see uh, how 
again, many of these Old Testament things. And of course, the book of Hebrews is a beautiful example of somebody teaching from types and shadows. In Hebrews 10, it says, the law having a shadow of good things to come. And not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comer there unto perfect. So the law was a shadow of good things to come. Now, again, when you think of a shadow, um, to have a shadow, you have to have substance. So when I stand out in the Florida sunshine, I have plenty of substance. <laughs> so there's a shadow. It's just obvious. If the sun shines the right way, there's a shadow. Now, the shadow is not really me. Right? I'm me, but the shadow is an image of me. It's like me, but it's not me. And so the law was a shadow of things to come. Uh, look at Colossians now, and we're going to see particularly, when we're getting down to business now, when it comes to our holy days. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. He says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And what was happening, uh, there were people that had come in amongst the Colossians, and they were telling them, you know, you need to keep the Sabbath, you need to keep the Jewish festivals. Now, we're going to be teaching on these feasts, and there's a group, uh, a lot of uh, uh, these Hebrew Christians that want to have us keeping the festivals. And I, I disagree with that. We can learn wholeheartedly from the festivals, but God doesn't want us playing in the shadows anymore. These holy days were a shadow, but the body or the substance, the fullness, is Christ. When you have Christ, you don't need shadows. You've got Him, you see. So all it was saying is that, that, in a sense, Christ casts a shadow back over the Old Testament. And we can see His shadow there in the Old Testament, but when you get to the New Testament, He's there, right? And we're New Testament Christians. We're not playing in shadows. We have Christ, and so, he's the substance. And so, basically, these holy days, he's telling us, are a shadow of things to come, but the body or substance of their message was Christ. And so, what we could say is this, and if you notice this little chart here, we've got the seven festivals divided into four and three. And the first four festivals are all connected with the first advent of Christ. They all, if you like, find their fulfillment at the first advent. And the final three will find their fulfillment at the second advent of Christ. Spring festivals, first coming of Christ, autumn festivals, second coming of Christ. And we'll, we'll emphasize this. Go back to Leviticus 23, and I want you to show you again by seeing patterns in the text that God clearly divides these two groups up for a reason. And we're going to see that. They, they, one is prophetic of the first advent, the other of the second advent, uh, back in Leviticus 23. And I should really tell you, if you've got a piece of string or one of these things, stick it in Leviticus 23, because we're going to keep going back there from other places. But I want you to notice something in the text here that is uh, interesting in terms of dividing up these two groupings. 
Leviticus 23 verse 22 kind of brings us to the end of this first period. In fact, it ends with the, the harvest. And, and notice it ends with this phrase, I am the Lord your God. So all the first uh, festivals are encompassed, the first four, and even the gap between the spring and harvest festivals are all encompassed in that first section and the kind of ending of it is this, I am the Lord your God. And then verse 23, uh, again you get, and the Lord spake, uh, God speaking to um, Moses about the final festivals, beginning with trumpets in verse 23, uh, sorry, verse 24, speak to the children of Israel, the seventh month in the first day of the month shall you have a Sabbath, the memorial of blowing of trumpets. And, and so, again, if you now look to verse 43, you've got kind of the ending of this section, and it ends with this, I am the Lord your God. So it's like God has kind of divided these two sections. One is the first advent, the other is the second advent, clearly separated, spring feasts find their fulfillment at the first advent, autumn feasts at the second advent. And again, what we want to say is this, that because we know that the the spring feasts were fulfilled on time and accurately and literally in the person of Christ, we have every confidence that when it comes to the second advent, these festivals will be fulfilled literally and accurately in the person of Christ. And so, again, we we just got this, this evidence here that's going to support the view that we hold of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will give us some real assurance. Now, we also want to just kind of verify that what we're really saying is biblical about finding Christ in these passages. Look at John 5 for a moment. John chapter 5. Uh, just uh, in case somebody's wondering, well, uh, you know, where's this guy getting this stuff from? What's, what's he thinking about? Uh, you know, sometimes it's very easy for somebody who's maybe not used to this kind of uh, teaching thinking... Oh, is this, is this guy just got a kind of a hyper-imagination that he's seeing all these things? Or, or uh, what, what's going on? So, John 5, 46. Um, why don't you notice what the Lord Jesus says to the Pharisees? For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote of me. Pharisees, I mean, they said, we're Moses' disciples, right? I mean, they, they were very enamored with Moses. And yet, um, the Lord Jesus said to them, listen, if you really had believed Moses, you would have believed me because Moses wrote of me. Now, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And it says, the Lord, from the words of the lips of the Savior, Moses wrote of me. So we can be dogmatic about Christ being in the first five books because the Lord himself tells us. Let's go a step further. Look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, and verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets... He, speaking of the Lord Jesus, expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Notice where did he begin? Beginning at Moses. And all the prophets, he spoke to them 
things concerning himself. Look at verse 44 of Luke 24. He said to them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And at this point, when he says they might understand the Scriptures, he's not talking of the New Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament. That was their Scriptures, right? He opened their understanding. And Lord willing, this week, your understanding will be opened to understand the Scriptures concerning Christ from the Old Testament. That's our goal. One person put it this way, that the, speaking of the New Testament... The New Testament is in the Old concealed. It's there, but it's concealed. The Old is in the New revealed. And we're going to see how the two Testaments fit together. Now, let me just show you why these, these pictures, these Old Testament, if you like, stamps uh, or, or, of, of Christ are so important. Look at Exodus 17 now. Let me show you an example. Exodus 17, verse 6 and 7. Exodus 17, verse 6 and 7. This is a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus. Behold, I'll stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because the children of Israel uh, and because they tempted the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So basically, here's a, a beautiful picture of Christ. Uh, we know that 1 Corinthians 10 tells us this. That rock which followed them was Christ. Okay? So Moses, the people are thirsty. He takes the rock and he, uh, the, the, the rod, and he strikes the rock. And when he strikes the rock, water pours out, satisfying the thirst of the people. And the picture is this. We sing it quite frequently in our black hymn book. Jehovah lifted up his rod. O Christ, it fell on thee. Okay? It was God judging the picture of the rock of Christ so that blessing could pour out and refreshment to a thirsty world. Now look at Numbers, and we'll see another picture. And remember, keep in view, the rock which followed them was Christ, from 1 Corinthians 10. Numbers 20, verse 8. Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so that thou shalt give the congregation and their beast drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord, as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch ye water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. 
And of course the Lord speaks unto Moses and what does he tell him? You can't go into the land because you've done this. And Moses is barred from entering the promised land because God told him to do what to the rock? Speak to the rock. Not strike it. But Moses, the meekest man in all the earth, lost it. (laughs) Finally, in a sense, his greatest strength became his greatest weakness. And he lost it. He lost his temper. And in his anger, must we fetch water out of the rocky rebels? He struck it twice. And what did he do? He spoiled the picture. The picture is this. Speak to the rock. Why? Because Christ only had to be struck once. Right? Christ died, what does Hebrews tell us? Once for all, never to be repeated. He doesn't have to die again. When we sin... Even after we're saved, Christ didn't have to be sacrificed again, did he? No, it's once for all, never to be repeated. And so this spoiled the picture. And because of that, Moses didn't get to go into the land. You see how serious God takes these pictures? Now, God is also very gracious, isn't he? Because actually, Moses did get to go into the land. You remember? On the Mount of Transfiguration. (laughs) He did get there, because God is very merciful. But he didn't get to lead the people into the land which was the original intent. And he didn't do it because he missed the picture. And so, these pictures are very, very important. Now, just another couple of things, and then uh, we'll close. We mentioned, as we read Leviticus 23, uh, a phrase in the King James, not sure it is in other translations, but holy convocations, mentioned 11 times in Leviticus 23. And the idea is that uh, these were, were, were gatherings of the people of God for holy purposes, bringing them together uh, to enjoy fellowship with him, uh, to, to basically uh, spend time in his presence. Uh, the, the word feast is literally set feast. It means to meet by appointment. And here's the interesting thing is, God actually wants fellowship with his people. He initiated all this. This was his idea Moses didn't think it up. Nobody else did. God said, okay, I want you to take time off from your calendar to come together and meet with me. Now, this is not the regular Sabbath, by the way. These are extra days. Some suggest that the nearest thing we have today is our conferences, right? We have our regular meetings on the first day of the week to remember the Lord, but throughout the year, there are special times of coming together in conference to meet and hear from God. That's why it's good to go to conferences. We're losing that in our assemblies. Less and less attendance. Uh, you know, people want to go to Disney World instead. Why would anybody want to do that? I have no idea. But that's what they want to do. Or go on a cruise or something. When they could be in the presence of God, hearing the voice of God. And God wants us to do that. So these festivals, times to come together. And... Um, And God wanted their fellowship. But a tragedy really happened in the nation of Israel. I want you to notice something. Look at John's Gospel now, chapter 2. John chapter 2. And verse 13. John 2, verse 13. And notice what John says here. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Look at John chapter 5 and verse 1. John 5 verse 1, 
After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Chapter 7, in verse 2. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. Do you notice any subtle difference between Leviticus 23 and John's Gospel? Leviticus 23 says, these are my feasts. He says, these are the feasts of the Lord, or feasts of Jehovah. When you get to the New Testament, these are the feast of the Jews. It's almost like God is saying, I don't want any part of it anymore. Well, actually, he does say that. We're not just surmising that he says, I don't want any part of it anymore. Look at the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 14. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. What was instituted by God was his initiative, his idea. He wanted their fellowship. He was the one who kind of said, come on, uh, take time off work, come together, and just enjoy my presence. Now he says, I'm weary of it. You know what had happened? They just were going through the motions. But their hearts were no longer in it. It had become a ritual. It had become a a tradition almost that they just this is what we do and, and they just went through the motions you see any similarities with our day see we have a, a weekly festival to remember the Lord and the places that I go sometimes and you wonder you know we love to make this big deal about where two or three are gathered there am I in the midst and sometimes I am there and I'm, I'm like Jacob of all this if the Lord is in this place I knew it not I don't sense it. I don't. I mean, why do we have to keep saying where two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst? Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to say it? It was so obvious that he was present, that nobody had to say anything. It's like the presence of God was real. And I wonder sometimes, is it the fact that we're just going through the motions? Now, I'm not, maybe that's not true here. I don't know. But there's a danger for all of us that something given by God instituted by him, his idea, meant for our good, meant for our benefit, meant for us to enjoy communion with him. And what an amazing thing, that we've been called into fellowship of his son. Isn't that amazing? And yet, if our hearts are not right, it can become a going through the motions, empty, dry ritual. And so we've got to be careful that we learn these things are written unto us for in samples, types, and for our admonition. There was, there's a lot we're going to learn, I think, this week from these festivals that will be a personal challenge to every one of us. Well, our time is gone, and we haven't even got to the first festival. But we will, believe me. Uh, I, I'm going to keep my promise, and tonight we will go to the Passover, and we may even go to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We'll see. But at least I, I hope we've got a, an idea of what we're looking at and uh, hopefully it's whet your appetite to study more in the book of Leviticus and particularly this topic. Let's pray. 
Our Father, we are so amazed that you would ever want to have fellowship with people like us. That you would actually go out of your way and take the initiative to set up special appointed festivals and say that you want your people to come and to meet with you there. And uh, Father, we, we just acknowledge sometimes our dullness that like the nation of Israel, it's very easy for us to get into the habit of going through the motions and our hearts to be far away. Now, we want to draw near this week, uh, each of us. We're thankful for the promise of your word, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Uh, we ask that our study together of these festivals might have the impact of drawing every person in this meeting closer to the Lord Jesus because we've met together in his name. We'll give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.